Hello, all souls. Good to be with you today. Wish we were together in, in person. I've been listening to uh, an excellent preacher um, who asked his congregation a question at the beginning of a sermon. He said, what are the five most important days in the history of the world? Something you might think about. What would make your list? Um, the day the Roman Empire fell, uh, uh, the invention of the printing press, uh, the end of World War II, Independence Day. Uh, then he went on to say, the five most important days of world history are the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and Pentecost. Our headlines in our history books tell uh, very important stories uh, that really do matter and that we should understand um, and have great significance. But the Bible tells us that there is a, a, another larger story being played out uh, above and beyond and behind the, the headlines. And especially in weeks like uh, this one, it can be helpful to step back and, and remember God's larger story, uh, especially when there are lots of important smaller stories that, uh, if left to themselves, will just kind of overwhelm us. Uh, Pentecost is part of God's larger story. As we saw last week on the day of Pentecost, God pours out the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. He empowers them to witness in the languages of uh, all the different cultures present and the church is born. Well, if you think about it, the Jewish pilgrims really must have had no idea what was going on. Uh, for hundreds of years, you came in at the beginning of the spring harvest. Uh, it was one of three great festivals. Leviticus 23 told you exactly what to do. You were supposed to offer a sin offering and some barley loaves, and, and that was kind of the deal. And now, all of a sudden, in the middle of this time-honored tradition, these uh, rural, uneducated, almost peasant, peasant would be too strong, but uh, uh, folks without the ability to speak in lots of languages, that's for sure, stand up and begin to proclaim the mighty works of God um, to all the dialects that are present. And it just sort of explodes. Remember, there, there's throngs of people there today in Jerusalem uh, was not a big city then. It's not a big city today. And so there was chaos. And some thought, well, I want to know more. What's happening? Others thought, uh, this is crazy. And so Peter stands up and explains the meaning of Pentecost. He explains what is happening at Pentecost. Well, the first thing he says is that an ancient prophecy is being fulfilled. Uh, they think people are drunk. And he says, nope, it's too early for that. He says, no, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, the last days have begun. We're living in them. The, the pouring out of the Spirit marks the beginning of the final act of God's redemptive story. We don't know how many scenes are in the final act, but we do know the last act of the play has begun. And the prophecy predicts that one day God will pour out His Spirit on all kinds of people, not just prophets, priests, and kings, as was the case in the Old Testament, but uh, all kinds across class, gender, race. And the prophet says that there's three different ways the, the Spirit will move in this, these last days, the days that we're living in now. Uh, the Spirit will give dreams. Uh, the Spirit will give visions. And the Spirit will give the gift of prophecy. Now, why does he describe uh, the new covenant work of the Spirit uh, this way uh, with those three gifts? Well, we, we see God guide believers, guide the church through those three gifts throughout the book of Acts. Um, for example, in Acts 16, a man appears to Paul in a dream and begs him to come to Macedonia. In um, Acts 10, Peter has a vision. He's praying. He falls into a trance. He sees all kind of animals. Uh, he hears God tell him to eat them. He says, no, that violates dietary laws. God insists. And what's going on is God is preparing Peter to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And then in Acts 13, we see the gift of prophecy. The elders of the church of Antioch are worshiping and fasting when one of the elders has a prophetic word, uh, telling them to set apart Saul and Barnabas for a missionary journey. So dreams, visions... Uh, prophecy in the book of Acts, these are ways that God guides his people. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I've, I've just had a very few visions in my life, um, usually at, at moments of significant transition. Uh, and I've shared these with you in the past, but there's only a handful. But um, when I was wondering if it was time to, to leave my church in the suburbs and come down and begin to minister in the city, I had two. One was in a graveyard where I saw my own tomb with Jeremiah 29.7 on it. And then the other, I was studying in Israel, and the, the class had taken a field trip down to, the, uh, to Jericho. And over lunch, I went out and sat down on a bluff and you could look down over the Jordan into the plains where uh, Moses had led the people of Israel and then God had said, you're not going to take them in. Joshua is. And, and I heard a voice that day saying, uh, you are not going to take your church into the promised land of her future, referring to the church where I was before. Uh, those are very powerful uh, moments and I'll, I'll never forget them. Most of the time, though, um, the way I hear from God is not that dramatic. Guidance comes through prayer, fasting, scripture, conversation with friends. I don't think Joel's point here is for us to focus on specific gifts, but I do think the point is uh, the Holy Spirit is with the believer now to give personal guidance that he really does want to guide us. Uh, and if you're in a place today where you're 
unsure about a decision, uh, about a relationship or a job or a vocational direction or a financial matter. This is one of the beautiful um, gifts of the new covenant is the Spirit is with us to guide us. Um, you know, if you're, if you're wrestling with uh, the race question and what, what we should do, uh, the Spirit will guide us if, if we, we ask. But I think there has to be an asking. I, I, one of the things I've done in conversations this week, often we've talked about what's going on in our country, and often I will say, what is the Spirit inviting you to do as a way of response? And what I found is I think it's a lot easier for us to sort of um, evaluate and analyze and say, well, this happened because of that, and if that happens, this will happen. I find that it's harder for us to really hear the voice of the Spirit saying, yeah, but in the middle of all that, here's what I'm supposed to do. So be listening. Um, maybe a little less to all the noise of why and who and how, and I wish they hadn't done that and all that. All that's important. But listen to what the Spirit's asking you to do in this moment. He'll show you. Well, Joe also, interestingly, he could have just cut off the prophecy there, but he adds two or three more verses about the last days ending in judgment. He says uh, these last days, and I guess that's that's the period from Pentecost to when Christ returns, uh, there'll be a judgment day. Uh, as the day draws near, there will be blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And uh, those are signs of judgment in the Bible. And creation will reel and rock and the world will be in upheaval and as this distress, as God's judgment reminds people of their sins, um, people cry out to God for salvation. So it's a very interesting prophecy where there's both spiritual renewal and judgment. Now, how on earth do those two things go together? We don't think of them as going together. Well, blood and fire and vapor and smoke have filled our great cities this week. Um, is this God's judgment? Well, here, here's how I think about God's judgment. I think we experience God's judgment when we experience the consequences of our sinful decisions and choices. Uh, I don't think God has to throw lightning bolts at us. I, I think he gives us freedom to make choices. And when, over time, we make choices that are not wise and loving, we will reap the consequences. And we will suffer those consequences. So I think that's something of what's going on this week. Uh, personally, I, I'm praying for changes in our systems and structures that make our country more just. Um, I'm praying for healing and protection for the victims of racism and the victims of riots. But I'm also mindful of a larger story, and, and I'm praying that uh, blood and smoke and fire and vapor will cause us to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and for the spirit of Pentecost to be poured out upon us in a, in a fresh way across race and gender um, and to form the beloved community of the church. So what's happening at Pentecost? An ancient prophecy is being fulfilled. Secondly, a crucified Messiah is being exalted, and we pick that up in verse 22. 
Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter says, now I know you thought you crucified this man. Uh, you thought you were done with him, but uh, you're not. He's been resurrected and death could not hold him. And then Peter says that Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Well, Psalm 16 is a, is a prayer from, apparently from David who uh, is confident that he will not be left in hell. Uh, but we'll, re we'll rejoice in the presence of God. Both Jews and early Christians, though, cited this verse as about the Messiah, the idea being that this was prophesying about a, a person uh, who death could not hold. And Peter will, will kind of develop this in the next two verses. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." What Peter's saying is, we know this psalm isn't just about David, right? Uh, because we know where David's buried. We can go to his tomb. This is a prophetic psalm. It points to a Messiah who died yet never knew the corruption of death and was raised to from the dead by God. And then he ends this section, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So three things happen after Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Jesus receives from the Father the promise of the Spirit. And Jesus pours out the Spirit. It's really a breathtaking glimpse into the inner life of the Trinity the Son is exalted to a position of power and authority next to the Father. The Father gives the Spirit to the Son. The Son pours out the Spirit to the church. Jesus uh, said several times that he had to go away so that he could pour out the Spirit on the church. And that's what's happening now. Um, he actually talks about this four times on the night of his death. 
I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. John 14, 16. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. John 14, 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he will testify about me. John 15, 26. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. So Jesus returns to heaven, pours out the Spirit, so that the ministry of Jesus can now be carried on by the Spirit through the church. Uh, Clark Pinnock has written a wonderful book on the Holy Spirit called The Flame of Love. And uh, I wish I could give you a slide for this quote, but I want to read it anyway. It's, it, it's explaining what's happening here at this very important moment in redemptive history. Jesus is the prototype of the church, which now receives its own baptism in the Spirit. Spirit, who maintained Jesus' relationship with the Father and empowered Him for mission, now calls the church into that relationship, giving it the power to carry on the mission. There had to be, after Jesus' departure, a colony of heaven, living the life and power and experiencing the freedom of the kingdom. Spirit indwells the church as a perpetual Pentecost and communicates gifts to its members. Like Jesus, the church must live not out of its own resources, but by the power of the indwelling Spirit, which breathes, strengthens, inspires, and guides. So what's happening at Pentecost? Well, an ancient prophecy is being fulfilled, and Jesus is giving the Spirit to the church so the church can continue the ministry of Jesus in the world. Now, you know, um, one of the biggest conversations all church leaders are having today, and, and, and we particularly were asking, when is it safe to gather again in larger groups? Um, and there are lots of resources that, uh, that you can turn to that give you lots of questions that you can ask to help you know when it's time. The most important question that we have to answer, and you do know in the bulletin last week we mentioned we formed a, a little team of wonderful folks that are going to kind of guide us and advise the board through this. The most important question that we need to be asking is, what kinds of gatherings in this particular season of COVID best help us carry out the mission of Jesus in the world? I think that's important. Let me ask that again. What kinds of gatherings in this season of COVID best help us carry out the mission of Jesus in the world? So what's happening at Pentecost? An ancient prophecy is being fulfilled a crucified Messiah is exalted. And finally, a risen Jesus is revealed as Lord. Uh, Peter does want to show that Jesus is the giver of the Spirit. 
But his, his ultimate goal in the sermon, uh, the climax of the sermon, is to reveal that Jesus is Lord. So he quotes the key Old Testament uh, passage that expresses the Lordship of Christ. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, for both Jews who were looking for the Messiah and for the early Christians, uh, they understood David to be speaking of the Messiah here. God is addressing the Messiah as David's Lord and invites him to sit at his right hand. And this is really where the whole sermon is building. God has raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him as Lord of the universe. Now, uh, Palestinian Jews use the name Lord as a title for Yahweh, God. Jesus shares this title. His authority is equal to the Father's. He shares the glory of divinity. He is Lord. He is Lord of salvation. He's the Lord of the church. He lives. He reigns. He shares the presence and the glory of God. He's divine. Peter ends, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what on earth is happening at Pentecost? An ancient prophecy is fulfilled. A crucified Messiah is exalted. A risen Jesus is revealed as Lord. Now let's just take a moment, think about what's going on all around us. To affirm Jesus' lordship is not to say that we will never suffer or the world will never suffer. When, when we say Jesus is Lord, to affirm Christ is Lord is saying, I believe in a larger story. To affirm Christ is Lord is, is saying, you know, I, I don't believe the world is spinning out of control. To affirm Christ as Lord is to say, I, I actually believe the kingdom of God advances even as smoke and fire and vapor engulf our great cities. Really, to affirm Christ as Lord is to choose hope. A hope that good does come from evil. Hope that the arc of the moral universe does bend towards justice. Hope that suffering has meaning. Hope that we do not walk through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Hope, really, is the meaning of Pentecost. Thank you.